Welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. I am your host, Ryan Hartley. This podcast is for heart-centered leaders just like you. I hope our time spent together helps you leave a heart print where those around you are left better than yesterday. These interview sessions are sponsored by our great friends at Elevate Online Marketing. Today's episode is going to be a highlight reel of the first six months of 2022. And before we get into sharing some clips from some of the great people that we've had on the show this year, I just want to share a few numbers with you just to let you know how amazing uh, you are and how much I appreciate you. We have been played in 133 countries. I am so incredibly grateful for anybody that pushes play. Um, We have had our first plays in countries such as Cabo Verde and the Cayman Islands. Um, It's incredible. It blows my mind and I hope that we are coming across loud and clear and then it is leaving a, a ripple effect, a heart print in you and in those around you so thank you so much for taking the time out of your day spending it here with us at always better than yesterday i will never take your precious time for granted and i hope that this continues to be a great source of encouragement for your heart-centered leadership (laughs) you have put us on the top charts in 44 countries this year we have been incredibly popular in latvia croatia moldova Ireland, Bulgaria, Zimbabwe, New Zealand, Iceland, Netherlands, Norway, Philippines, the United Arab Emirates. It blows my mind. I'm grateful that um, you're here with us on this journey. Uh, And it's nice to know that there are people just like you on the receiving end of, of this, these audio waves, these little ripple effect, these little waves that are meeting your heart from mine. And I hope that they continue to be a great source for you. So what we're going to do in this episode, we're going to share some insights, some great snippets from some of the incredible guests that I've had on uh, for the first half of 2022. Maybe you haven't listened to all the episodes, so maybe there'll be something in this that you think, oh yeah, I need to go back and check out that episode. The great thing is that the entire library and back catalogue is there for you to catch up with. There is no stress, no pressure. Do it for the love of it. Do it for the curiosity. If you like to watch, you can watch all of the interviews on YouTube. I know that um, many of my good friends like to see the physical interactions between me and my, my guests. So YouTube is a great way of being able to do that. And of course, being here on the on the podcast too is... Um, is great. It's a very, very personal, intimate experience of which I fully understand and I appreciate. And on the podcast here as well, we have little mini episodes that go out on the Monday, Tuesday, Thursday and Friday of the week as well. So hopefully they continue to be a blessing for your leadership. And here we go. Let's get into some of the highlights so far for the first half of 2022. On episode 163, I was joined by Dr. Bruce Lipton, cell biologist and best-selling author. We had such an incredible conversation that this episode went out over two parts. It has become the most popular episode ever listened to on this podcast and watched on the YouTube uh, channel. It was an incredibly brave conversation. Uh, Dr. Bruce was sharing some real science and some insights into some things that uh, were around a, (laughs) shall we? a a sensitive topic at the time. Uh, Bruce didn't hold back. It was one of the only episodes that has ever got me uh, kicked off of YouTube, um, got me censored in some way, and it became a great source of encouragement to those who just knew that something wasn't right in the world and had a belief in in that things could and should be done in, in a different way. Dr. Bruce's words encouraged a lot of people, and I hope that they encourage you too. So here's some highlights from Dr. Bruce Lipton. Because I'm challenging the church. The church of what? Whoever says whatever they think science is. Now, uh, this is part that irritates the hell out of me because (laughs) with this pandemic, nobody recognized a a little thing happened when nobody was paying attention. I go, what was it? Global government. Mm. What do you mean global government? I said, who set up the rules for the pandemic? 
a small little group of people, mm. including Fauci and Bill Gates. Mm. And I say, they, the whole world all of a sudden said, what do you guys want us to do? Mm-hmm. Okay, we should do this. Uh, so in India and in Africa and in England and in South America and US and Australia, what do you want us to do? And all of a sudden we did it. We locked up people and we put people away from each other. And I go, uh, why did we do this? Fear. They mm. sold it as fear. Mm. You know, there's an interesting article in the, in the um, uh, Guardian, and you, you should know that paper, right? <laughs> the Guardian. It's a, it's a wonderful paper. Let me just see if I can just pull it up because I want to read it to you. Uh, uh, very, oh my goodness. I got so many of them. I can't read it right now. I'll tell you what. Let me tell you what the article said. Ready? They were worried because they wanted to get everybody to get the vaccine. And there were people who were not getting the vaccine. And this was from an excerpt from a government, British government advisory group on how to handle Mm. behavior in a pandemic Mm. from the Mm. advisory group. And what what was the suggestion from the advisory group? People are not afraid enough. Scare them more. Wow. And then tell them how to resolve the fear. I say, scare them more. You're all going to die. But if you get the vaccine, you can save your ass. And I go, and they've been pushing that mantra. uh, And the fact is this, the data does not support this. It's manipulated data. Uh, Mm. And the irritation that really galled me the most was when Fauci stands up and he says, if you doubt me, you doubt science. I go, who the hell made you the Pope of science? There is no Pope of science. There's no one opinion of science. Science is a collective understanding where everybody contributes something. Mm. And he said, if you doubt me, then you're anti-science. And that's where all of a sudden the public, Mm. anybody who doubts this stuff is crucified in the public as being an anti-vaxxer, you know, know, a throwback and they name you and they criticize you and they make you look like an idiot. Why? Because they pick the data mm. to say this is our science and i go i have bruce lipton in my computer right now because i have the web science that they don't report mm. and the science they don't report says don't do that vaccine folks <laughs> the vaccine is a terror it doesn't freaking work i go why not i say well they call it breakthrough we got breakthrough covid here what do you mean breakthrough? Breakthrough simply defined means the vaccine does not stop this or infect it in any way. So mm. get more vaccine, get another booster. Mm. Hey, it didn't work in the first place. What the hell are you going to get another booster to the same thing? It does not work that way. Mm. And the idea is, oh, we're just going to vaccinate everybody and then there'll be peace on earth. And I go, they also are beginning to learn a very important fact of biology, which I've been talking about years, and it's actually from Lamarck even. When environments change, the organisms adapt. Yeah. When the anti when the vaccine that Pfizer came up with started to influence it, organisms, when people were infected, when they copy the virus, mm. there's two ways of copying a virus: the DNA, the nucleic acid, the code. There are proteins that copy the DNA. Well, there's two different proteins to copy DNA. Mm. One of them copies perfectly. You could have a million bases or those are little chemicals in the DNA, uh, in a gene. You could have a million and they copy the gene with this copy device and 99.99% of the copy is 100% accurate. You know, in other words, that's a perfect copy. And that way I replicate the virus, okay? But there's a second enzyme that's called a sloppy copy device, okay? Uh, Because when it copies, it introduces variations into the code. Mm. I go, so why is that relevant here? And I go, and the answer is simple. Because if the virus, the standard one, runs up against the wall, one of the variants, Omicron, Delta, Mu, will alter the structure of the virus so that the vaccine has no influence on it. Mm. And all of a sudden I say, well, that's what happened. The variants, Omicron is a variant. Why is Mm. it significant here? 
And the answer is this. When you make antibodies after you put a vaccine in, it makes it against the protein called the spike. And an antibody, people don't even get how perfect it is. It's a lock and key mechanism. There's the structure of the spike that's like the lock. The antibody is the perfect fit, like a key to bind to that. And when the antibody binds to the spike, it marks it for destruction, okay? I go, great. And I say, then what? Omicron, Delta, Mu. I say, what happened? Oh, the variant changed the structure of the spike. I go, so mm. what? I say, you know that antibody you made? It doesn't recognize the new version at all. Mm. And that's why I don't care if you got a vaccine or not. The new version is not affected by the antibodies created from the first vaccine. You have to create a new vaccine for every variant that shows up. And I go, I don't care how many times you make a new vaccine, nature's going to make a new virus. <laughs> That's the way yeah. it always has been. On episode 164, I was joined by the UK's leading biohacker, Tim Gray. We had an incredible conversation about how to optimize our health as human beings, as leaders. Uh, Tim invited me as his guest to attend the Health Optimization Summit in May. Uh, it was an incredible event. I left so inspired. Uh, I've shared the insights with our community over on Facebook. And here we go. Here are some insights from the UK's leading biohacker, Tim Gray. Right, it took me a while to really click out of the, click out of the uh, mindset of trust your doctors. I mean, I think the first thing is that when something goes wrong it's nice to know that you can trust someone that can fix things that you yeah. can't and you know like for instance if you want investments you go to someone that's good with investments um if you um if you need help with legal stuff you go to a lawyer if you've got something going on with your health you go to a doctor um so everyone needs that fallback and i think it's like one of the common things that comes up is people say that when they go traveling they uh they like to know that there's good hospitals and stuff nearby just in case something goes wrong. But what mm. if you can't trust your doctors? Mm. It's like, it's actually pretty daunting because you can't learn the whole body and everything about it. Like, you know, we just, just not possible. Um, so I was in that route for, you know, well over a year, um, you know, where I had kidney stones, IBS, you know, I had a month of, you know, basically extreme IBS or what seemed like Crohn's or just it was beyond a joke and then kidney stones and all these things started going wrong virus issues and um, teeth infections where I needed to have the teeth pulled and everything wow. and it just was spiraling out of control and, you know uh, I was falling apart I was depressed you know and I'm not a depressive character by any means I mean my luckily my um my energy is, has always been quite good and very positive. But um, I just said to the doctor one day, he's like, you know, what's wrong with me? Like, you know, I just can't cope with this anymore. And he said, oh, Tim, I don't know. Shrugged his shoulders, can't find anything wrong. You know, and it was then, that was actually the moment my mum was driving me home because I couldn't drive at the time. And um, when I got home, I just got on the laptop. Started searching away, good old Dr. Google, and I realized that Google was skewed with its results and couldn't really give me anything. So I jumped onto the forums mm. and um, were listening to, you know, hundreds of people like me that were saying that they had similar things. And, you know, um, I feel disingenuous by saying it because I say it so often on so many podcasts, but, you know, I, have, I, I carry a pack of post-it notes, you know, always, always. Um, and I wrote down the symptoms and slapped them all up on the wall and traced them all back in the cause and effect chart, you know, mm. like a family tree or a serial killer type thing you see in the movies, um, trying to figure out what caused what and just kept on researching and digging and digging and digging. And as I'd fix one issue, something else would come up and there was always something that where my body wasn't quite coping with something. Um, it turned out it was mercury poisoning, which obviously, you know, stresses your liver and your immune system, which means that multiple things can go wrong. So you're always clearing up the, the leaks, you know, the holes in the boat, but um, but never actually getting to the, the, the cause of it. So that's really the turning point for me. It was just like, I've had enough, you know, and uh, I'm a very curious type and, you know, have to keep on digging until I get to the bottom of it. 
On episode 167, I welcomed Heather Parody back to the podcast. Heather was fresh off the back of a highly popular podcast, NFTs for Newbies, which gained over a million listens in seven short months. We had a great conversation about Web3, about NFTs, as well as um, Heather's heart for being a community builder. She's one of the best, my friends. Here we go. Some insights from Heather Parody, episode 167. And so what NFTs are, you know, we, we kind of got interested in them. When I say we have a co-host, um, Rich Cardona, um, we, we, we strictly were interested in the investment opportunity with it. We're like, yo, we can make some money off this, blah, blah, blah. What's happened over the past six months or so is my eyes have just been open to this world that's coming and is here where I'm sure you've interviewed many people where they're like, everything changed for me when email marketing came in. And I was one of the first people to have an ad back in 1990 and all this stuff. And they were able to really um, leverage that moment to scale whatever they were working on. We're in that moment right now again with web three and my curiosity has gone beyond now nfts to like oh my god what does this mean for community builders what does this mean for leaders what does this mean for business owners when the world is now demanding not only transparency but also to um part ownership Mm. when we think about building communities usually there's a leader and there's a community And, you know, the idea is if it's done well, that people feel like they're a part of something bigger and it's not like this dictatorship with blockchain, web three, all that stuff. It's almost, they're demanding it to be the way that you and I've been kind of talking about studying for a long time, because it's not enough to just belong to something. We want to have part ownership of it. And I know this is really confusing and it's confusing to me as well. What I see is I see the potential for really good people to come in and figure out the Mm. way things are moving and be able to build some badass infrastructures and businesses and opportunities. So Mm. I feel this nudge in me and um, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going all in for at least the next year, studying, learning, growing, um, yeah. You'll remember from last year, episode 112, I was very fortunate enough to interview Dr. Gary Chapman, the author of The Five Love Languages. He co-authored a book with Dr. Jennifer Thomas, who was on my show, episode 170, and we talked about the wonderful book called The Five Apology Languages. It was uh, very pertinent. We had um, leaders in the media, say Boris Johnson, having to give public apologies for the parties that never happened, and we talked about how uh, his apology fell far short of what makes a good apology. So here you go, episode 170 with Dr. Jennifer Thomas, all about the five apology languages. Well, Ryan, I'm like you. I tend to quickly say I'm sorry, and that's all that I usually need to hear from other people. And the idea actually came to me in my own marriage. Although I I practice as a clinical psychologist, this idea didn't originally come from my work. It came from a a situation that I had with my husband one evening where I had made a mistake, and I said to JT, I'm sorry. And then I thought it was over with, but he didn't. And I could tell there was like this tension in the air. You could have cut it with a knife. And I was like, well, what, what's wrong? And so I actually asked JT what was wrong. And he said, well, I just wish you would apologize. And then, of course, I was like, well, I said I was sorry. And I got curious about what it was that he was waiting to hear. And um, it, it didn't take him long at all. He knew right away what he wanted to hear. Yeah. And I like to pause here and invite listeners to think about, well, what do you think this dude was waiting on? Because the chances are that your answer will reflect your primary apology language. Mm. And he said, I wanted you to say you were wrong. Mm. And so to me, that was kind of a synonym. And so it wasn't a huge deal. I said, well, that's what I meant. I was wrong and I am sorry and I apologize. Mm. And then he accepted that. And I was amazed by how much better our evening went. It really turned around at that point. Mm -hmm. And so I made a note like, okay, note to self, when you apologize to JT, you need to accept some responsibility. 
And I thought, I wish I'd known this years ago because we'd been married about 10 years at that point. Um, but for him, there were these magic words in an apology. And when I married him, he didn't come with this instruction book, um, <laughs> but I was figuring it out as I went. And it occurred to me that there was a parallel with Gary Chapman's five love languages where you kind of offer what comes naturally to you but what we really should do is go around and figure out, well, what's their script and what counts for them? So I sat on the idea for a few months, uh, but Gary Chapman lives in my state in, this, in the US. And so I actually went over and met with him and said, I've got this idea to share. And um, he, he jokes now that he was actually kind of relieved because I was a marriage counselor there in his town and, and he thought it was coming to ask for marriage advice. <laughs> Uh, but I told him, no, things are good. Actually, I, I have this idea that what one person counts as an apology is not what someone else counts as an apology. And he said, that's interesting. I've never thought of that. And so we began to uh, survey people and we asked 4,000 people, what really works for you if someone wants to get out of the doghouse? And their answers fell into five categories. And we joke because, you know, he loves the number five, but we actually weren't looking for five. <laughs> uh, but we found that there are these different ways of saying my bad to others. Mm. What are those five? So um, the first one is yours and mine. That's saying I'm sorry. That's also Gary Chapman's primary apology language. Um, or no, I'm sorry. I apologize. That's actually his wife's primary thing. Um, but Gary Chapman and JT, my husband, both want to hear an acceptance of responsibility. So these are our first two, expressing regret or accepting responsibility. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that these two are both all about words. And so they're not going to work for people who say, hey, talk is cheap. I want some more and, you know, mm -hmm. give me some more with this apology. Yep. So our, our third apology language is about making amends or making restitution for the other person. For them, they're going to believe you're sincere when you spend your time or your money making things right or making them whole again. And as I continue on with these five, you'll also hear that these are steps. You could think of them as either steps or languages and together they'll make up a complete apology. So the fourth thing that people want to hear in an apology is a new plan to uh, prevent it from happening again. We call it preventing a reoccurrence or planned change. So this is really important, especially if it's been happening over and over, because Ryan, you might feel like you'll forgive me again today, but if it happened before and it might happen again, you, you might run out of forgiveness. I mean, I know you're a nice guy, but there's gotta be some limit where you're going to say, Jen, you got to get this worked out. And so this is where in my apology, I could say, you know, I realize I keep running late for our weekly meetings. And so watch me, I'm going to put in a reminder for the meeting. And not only that, but I'm going to move it up 10 minutes earlier, because I tend to try to fit in one more thing. And then I end up running late. But you are my priority. Hmm. And then our final apology language is that request for forgiveness. And we found that only 3% of people most want you to ask for their forgiveness. But for that 3%, we found that it's pretty important and that they may have gone through life feeling like, um, you know, people give really bad apologies. Mm. But the fact is that they're just not hearing what they are waiting for or what their script from their childhood for a good apology really is. On episode 172, I was joined by Simon Alexander Ong, life coach and author of the new book, Energize. We spoke during the launch week of his book. It's gone on to impact many, many lives all around the world. Our conversation was thoroughly enjoyed by our audience. And it's all about how we can live and lead with energy. Everything is energy and learning how to manage that as a, as a life source is vital for leaders. So here are some insights from Simon Alexander Ong all about Energize. When I think about what led me to write about energy in this way, I think there were two factors that played into it. The first was 
I came from a corporate world uh, into the world of entrepreneurship. Mm. And when I was in the corporate world, uh, I, I was in the financial services industry. And as you, as you know, there was long hours in that industry. I, I was working six or seven in the morning in the office until sometimes 10 or 11 at night. And so I went through multiple experiences of burnout. Mm. And there was one particular time uh, that I had burnout where I had a deep conversation with my, with my then girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, Simon, if you continue like this, your health is going to deteriorate. I don't see you improving in mm -hmm. terms of your health staying at this place. And she was right. My physical health was going down the drain. I was eating junk. I just didn't have time to cook. I was getting little sleep and I just didn't have the time to exercise. Mm. And so that was one of my first experiences uh, of, of why energy is so important if we want to accomplish our biggest goals. The second factor was, as I made that transition to what I now get to do today, I quickly discovered that the more events I was speaking at, the more I would hear from audience members who would come up to me after I stepped down from stage and would say to me, Simon, I loved the energy you had on stage. Mm. And I and I loved your presence. And if only mm. I could have a small percentage <laughs> of your energy, I could go on and accomplish so much. And it mm. got me thinking about, well, how did I get to a point in which I have so much energy? I have this ability to wake up in the morning, not to the smell of coffee, but to the smell of possibilities mm. and to just live life in, in flow in terms of being present, open to the abundance that surrounds us all. And so with this book, uh, a bit of behind the scenes, Ryan, the first working title was actually called Energy is Everything. Mm -hmm. And then as I wrote the book, as we went through editing, that title evolved into what you see now, Energize. And so I wanted really to share a bit about my journey, but also why energy is so important if we want to uh, make meaningful steps uh, towards accomplishing our goals. One of my favorite books of all time is The Go-Giver Leader. I have been fortunate enough to have Bob Berg, the co-author of those series of books on the show twice, and he's been my coach and my mentor for over the last year. On episode 174, I was fortunate to be joined by Bob's co-author, John David Mann, and his wife, Anna Gabriel Mann, as we talk about their book, The Go-Giver Marriage. It was amazing to have a wonderful conversation about what it looks like, sounds like, feels like to bring some of the go-giver principles into our personal relationships. I hope that this conversation, these highlights uh, continue to encourage your relationships. Here we go. 174 with John and Anna Mann, The Go-Giver Marriage. It sounds so simple, right? One plus one equals more than two. Well, that's you know, the kind of statement that anybody could say, well, yeah, sure, I, I get that. But hang on, because really a lot of people, they don't say it this way perhaps, but a lot of people in marriages come into over time this sort of tired sense that one plus one equals something less than two. Like here I am living my life and now because I'm married, my life, I, yeah, there's compromise. Mm. I have to I have to make compromises because she doesn't like all the same things I like. And I can't do everything I want to do because I have to consider her. And so now my life has become a limited version of what it could be. And so one plus one now equals less than two because it's because marriage is a limitation. Marriage mm. is a compromise. And we see it the opposite. Mm. It's It's the opposite of that, which is one plus one means through my marriage, in my marriage, I have the opportunity to become a bigger person than I could ever have been on my own. So I'm not just one, me, I'm a bigger one. And she's a bigger one. When you, when you make an us, it is three. It is bigger than two because we, we are, our us is a bigger entity than the sum of the two of us. It's something larger. And that's just, that's thrilling to discover. And I think that everybody who's who's genuinely happier than marriage has has found that whether they put that name on it or not. I think the commercial world's got a lot to answer for because I think it's really hmm. taken this sentiment of love from a way 
what it truly is. You know, this idea that love, you, you, you complete me. It's just so disparaging. <laughs> it really takes away from the essence of what you've just said. Exactly. We're two individuals. I mean, that's the piece about coming together. It's two individuals mm. who come together and form this third entity, the us. And yet you still remain your, your separate selves with your own, you know, likes and dislikes and you are your own unique person with your own unique way of expressing yourself in the world and that all of that needs to be honored by the us on episode 175 i was joined by exhale founder and ceo alex higgum we have an incredible conversation about this idea that coffee can be ridiculously healthy we hear some wonderful things about how alex's coffee has as many antioxidants as 12 punnets of blueberries. It's a great conversation, one that I hope inspires your health and your well-being. Episode 175 with Exhale founder and CEO, Alex Higgum. My journey into coffee started around six years ago. So as you say, I was an accountant for about 15 years. It was massively the wrong career for me. Like I was so deeply unfulfilled as an accountant. It's It's the wrong thing for me personally. And then around six years ago, I started getting a whole load of weird and wonderful health issues. I had all sorts of different debilitating symptoms that meant I was having a lot of time off work. I, was, I had a baby around the same time and I just had no energy for it, like deep fatigue. Um, and then it turns out that I was developing an autoimmune condition. I didn't realize it back then. Um, and I was in and out of every hospital across London. I wasn't getting anywhere with anybody so then it was around three years ago that I started trying to take control of things myself a little bit and obsessively researching the science and diving into PubMed every day and reading more and more to try and kind of like take control of my own health basically and then as I was doing that I was drinking more and more coffee and I was realizing that actually through harnessing the power of coffee to, to without using the too cheesy a phrase I, I was I was becoming a better employee I was able to parent better I was also getting really into endurance sports and I was using coffee more to kind of fuel all the training and everything and I was like wow this is quite powerful and then it was through reading all the research about my own health that I learned as well that coffee could potentially be really healthy and support my longevity as well as sparking that daily transformation in my life so I was like well this is quite interesting so that's where the idea for excel came along and I was like well, what if I could find a really healthy optimized version of this which which kind of does it all mm. um, and then yeah so it took a couple of years then of, of more research before finally plucking up the courage to Quit work and launch Exhale in lockdown 2020. On episode 178, I was joined by a modern day shaman. Yakov Darling Khan is a shaman and he is the author of two books, Jaguar in the Body, Butterfly in the Heart and Shaman. It has been one of our most enjoyable episodes. People have really loved hearing the insights and the story of Yakov. It was our most popular reel that we've put out on Facebook for some time and I think this one just sparks a level of curiosity into shamanism and its um, applications in a in a modern world. Here we go, episode 178, Yakov Darling Khan, Shaman. We share the the same emotional intelligence with all mammals. And so our emotional um, impulses are honed over millions of years. They They are a service to us. They're not something to understand, get rid of, overcome. They're something to move with. So one of my teachers early on said emotion stands for energy in motion. I I like that. Mm. So what does that mean? It means if I feel fear, Mm. then fear is is an impulse to pay attention, like what's going on. If you watch, you know, on the, in the savannah, those, the animals that are prey animals, and you watch how they are. They don't live in fear of the night, even though at night when it's hunting time, one of them will be eaten. 
Yeah. But you look at them during the day, they're not all huddled in a corner going, oh my God, oh my God, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? <laughs> yeah. they're, they're living, they're eating, they're, they're, they're fully engaged. And though they are the most vulnerable, they're also the most curious. Yeah. So that, that prey instinct within us that's like, that is light on our feet and awake to what's going on. This is how fear exists in our animal intelligence. Yeah. It's not overwhelming. The reason we become so overwhelmed by fear is because we have such a backlog of unallowed, disallowed, denied, repressed emotion, mm. which makes it more difficult for us to engage with that animal intelligence. Anger is a recognition that our integrity has been challenged, attacked or broken. Mm. And that's a very important thing. We need to know if somebody's crossing the line. Mm. And anger is, again, if it's not allowed, um, if it's not supported as a dance, as a movement, like, okay, I'm angry. What do I do with that? Well, I'm gonna find somebody to blame. No, what's mm. the animal intelligence of anger? It's refined your shape, refined your integrity. Let that fire move through you, take responsibility for it and use it to strengthen mm. your integrity. And through that, your ability to communicate, to allow you and I to be different. Mm. Like that's exciting. Then we can have differences and engage rather than be full of... Um, ancient repressed irritation that means that the second you say something i disagree with i'm in reactivity yeah so and then our sadness is it's such a profound gift i'm not talking about depression mm -hmm. that's that's sadness is about letting go depression is how we hold on to the past how we hold on to our stories, our interpretation about what's happening. But sadness is the waterfall. It's the way that we grieve. It's the way to use your least favorite word, we surrender. And I do understand that. <laughs> I, and surrender doesn't mean give up. So to surrender is an incredibly courageous thing yeah. to, to let go to a greater power than yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in the dance, we're doing that. In sadness, we're teaching the body to shake, mm. not, to, not to hold on, not to turn in, but to open up, like to be a waterfall. And when we allow that, the, the tenderness and the sense of connection that we have, and this is all about swimming in the waters of life, not not being afraid of our tears. Oh my God, you're sad. Let me, let me hug that out of you. Let me, let me make you better immediately because I can't yep. bear you to feel what I'm not allowed to feel. And all of that, if we allow these basic emotions to be awake with our fear, to have integrity through uh, the owning and transmutation of anger, to be able to let go properly through sadness and grief. Mm. The natural outcome of that is joy, yeah. is a heart that is light. And this yeah. is a cycle. It's not that we end up in joy and then that's it. It's a cycle that we go through. And when you add up these four intelligences of the heart, fear yeah. to be awake, anger to have integrity, sadness to let go, joy to express and feel our generosity the result mm. of that is a compassionate human being because mm. compassion means i feel with you i'm yeah. with you in what you're experiencing and i can be alongside you as a friend as a colleague as a as a lover as a parent i can be alongside you i can allow you to feel what you're feeling and help you to understand what the call for action is in that emotion. And then we become emotionally intelligent, fluid 
fiery, passionate, awake people. On episode 179, I was joined by April Sprints. April is a heart center leader through and through. She has recently published a book called Magic Blue Rocks, which details her life story. And it will inspire you to believe that anything is possible and that you can do anything. April also talks about the generosity culture, and we have a great conversation about what that looks like in business. Episode 179 with April Sprints. So I found out when I was six years old from another student at school that I was poor. And it's so interesting when you're a child because you don't have an awareness of the uglier things in life. And so even though a lot of things had happened up until that point that would point to me being poor, I'd never really figured it out. Mm. And once he explained it to me, and not unkindly, he just logicked it out for me. It was a very bright kid. And I would, but I was so ashamed. I, I still can remember that visceral hot feeling in my stomach and it up my neck from flushing into my face of just shame. Like this is a horrible thing to be and I don't want to be this. And then thinking at the age of six, for whatever reason, that if, if my mom could solve us not being poor, she would have done it already. So I wasn't going to bother her with it. I was just mm. going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And I had an obsession at the time with the show, uh, The Jeffersons, because this man owned dry cleaners and moved from the ghetto to the penthouse apartment. And so I was like, this is how you do it. You, you start a business. <laughs> so I couldn't find anything in my house to start a business with other than a blue marker. But then I went outside while I was still thinking and I saw the gravel in my driveway and I thought, if I color those rocks blue, they'll be special in a very childlike way, right? Where mm -hmm. just changing the color of an egg made it magical at Easter, right? Mm -hmm. So we'll just color it. And then I thought, you know, I can give this rock some magic so that anyone who has one can do anything they believe they can do. Mm -hmm. because I felt like I could do that. I had this incredible confidence as a child, confidence that later I feel like I lost and had to regain, but I really believed I could put that magic in those rocks and then anyone who had them could do whatever they thought they could. And I also somehow innately knew only children would buy that, so I sold them at school. Mm -hmm. And now what was funny is all the kids bought them with their lunch money, and I, I priced them badly. Leftover lunch money was 20 cents. That would have been the excellent price point. It was my first business. We all make mistakes in our first business. <laughs> and so I did 25 cents because I was a big fan of quarters. And I thought, if the money adds up fast, that'll make me rich. So every kid in class pretty much charged their lunch. And that's something, I don't know if you have it in the UK, but in the US, at, at least at that time. And I think still, if kids didn't have lunch money, they could charge it and pay it later. Well, when a whole class charges a lunch, teachers alerted, and she found <laughs> out what I was doing and, and told my mom. So... On episode 180, I was joined by James McRae, author and meme artist. This episode just exploded on my reels. This conversation that I had with James about creativity has really resonated with so many of our listeners and our watchers. Uh, so you'll have to check out the full episode if you haven't already. It is a very, very popular one. James has a a uh, highly popular Instagram page called Words Are Vibrations. Oh, definitely recommend that you check that out. And here we go. Here are some insights on creativity from James McRae, episode 180. I think that we're all creative as children. Mm -hmm. And I've, all, I've been lucky to work my whole life essentially in creative fields. Mm-hmm. So like when I was like deep in the corporate underbelly, <laughs> I was working in advertising agencies as like a graphic designer and a brand strategist. So creativity has always been part of my work, mm -hmm. even when I was like a corporate professional. Um, but at the same time, my creativity definitely suffered during that time only because it wasn't an expression that was coming like organically from me. I was like mm -hmm. trying to solve problems for businesses that I didn't even necessarily agree with the business or the ethos yeah. of the company. Right. And I still have to kind of like muster up 
the creativity and passion to help support these clients. So it was really great practice in terms of just finding a way to be creative, finding a way to help a business um, position themselves and market themselves and, and um, get, get a larger audience. Um, but it wasn't a fulfilling type of creativity. So yeah, I, th I think that I think that I, ha I had to, I had to reawaken that within myself mm -hmm. and I was lucky because I wasn't too far away. Right. Yeah. But I think a lot of people, the way the economy is set up and the way that this social structure is, is set up, mm -hmm. it, it, it tends to like reward, um, a certain kind of conformity, um, that is focused on, you know, propping up an economy that's built on, um, you know, inequality and, and, yeah. and on hustle culture yeah, yeah. and on um, pushing yourself and on, you know, it, it doesn't reward connection to soul and creativity and heart. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that all like every individual in, in, in the course of growing up, we go on a, we, 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 we lose track of our path because we're forced to make compromises based on the world that we live in. Mm. So, um, but I firmly believe that, you know, our nature is our nature and you can, you can cover up your nature, yeah. but you can't change it or lose it. Right. Yeah. So I believe it's always there for anyone. And, and, to, and when I say creativity, that don't even mean like, Oh, I'm a painter or a writer yeah. or an artist. It could be, you know, creative, creative in the sense of how you build your business or how yeah. you express yourself or, you know, how you raise your family. There are a lot of different It's, it's, to me, it's more just being an autonomous, independent thinker yeah. who is in touch with things like imagination and intuition Mm. as opposed to being led by like more like the fear-based uh, ego mind. Um, so I definitely think that it's something we all have and we've just kind of been distracted yeah. from it as individuals and as a society. On episode 182, I was joined by artist, poet and author Joshua Luke Smith. There was so much love for this episode. A couple of my friends messaged saying, it was the best episode they'd listened to since 116. And if you've been around the podcast long enough, you'll know that 116 was with Matthew McConaughey. So lots of love being shown for episode 182. Go and check it out in full. It will inspire your heart and your mind. But here are some highlights. 182, Joshua Luke Smith. There's a belonging with people and then there's a belonging within ourselves and with God, which is just a lifelong journey, a lifelong excavation, you know, for me with people, it all, it begins and ends with vulnerability. It begins and ends with allowing ourselves to be seen for who we truly are, mm -hmm. because you and I both know you can be in community, you can be in a team, you can be in a workforce, you can be in a church, you can be you can be around people, but still present something which isn't completely who you are. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's a difficult, it's a very difficult thing to even, you know, acknowledge the question of who am I? And often I talk about this in the book, but often it's the people around us that reveal it to us mm. that they're almost are the mirror. You can't see unless mm. you were on Zoom right now, you can't see yourself. And so it requires me to tell you an element and an ex expression of who you are that you'll never be able to see without me. But, yeah. but for me to be able to do that, I need to be able to see you. And so I need to connect with you and engage with you in a way where there isn't a mask. And, you know, just using the pandemic as an example, we have now very objectively, very externally seen what it looks like for people to walk around with masks. We spend two years not fully being able to appreciate what someone's face is, you know, like, what do you actually look like? And I think it's a powerful parallel for the inward expression that we have where oh. what do you actually look like? And, you know, that can be begin with something as simply as simple as replying 
with the most honest response to how's your day been? Mm. It doesn't have to be everything, but it can simply been, it's been a tough day. Mm. You know, just trying that, bro, is a game changer. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or it's been incredible. Why has it been incredible? And actually allowing yourself to celebrate what is good in your life and, um, and seeing those around you both celebrate with you and mourn with you gives you a deeper and deeper sense of belonging. Um, and then, and then I, I will just say as well, there's, a, there's an internal belonging. There's, there's a loneliness that we all experience because we're unique. There's no mm. one on this planet like you. And so there's no one that will actually be able to experience life as you do. And therefore, there's a loneliness in that. Mm. And, and the, path to, the path away from that loneliness I have found is through, ironically, the embracing of solitude, embracing spaces of being without and um and that slowly kind of that comfortability that comes with getting to know yourself yeah. getting to know who you are in silence when all the noise stops get to know who you are when no one else is speaking when you're not speaking is a yeah. real powerful act of learning to belong within your own body and within your own environment there we go that concludes the highlights of the first half of 2022 thank you for making it to the end i hope that you have been inspired by the wonderful people that i have been able to have conversations with as always if you have any questions please do email me podcast at abty.co.uk please do ask your curious questions let's keep this a two-way conversation if there is anything that you think i may be able to help you journey with then please do reach out let's keep this conversation going And I look forward to sharing more space and time with you as we journey to the end of 2022 together. I'm always on the lookout for great heart-centered leaders to bring you. If you have someone in your network that you think I'd have a great conversation with, please do recommend them. Please do put them in touch. And the thing I'd love and appreciate you to do is just share this podcast with someone who you wish to inspire to. Help me get the message out. Help me expand this heart-centered style of leadership. I truly believe that always better than yesterday exists to benefit all of those beyond our community. Yes, of course, I want to help you, the listener, as much as possible, but I understand that the true beneficiaries are those people who you come into contact with that won't have any idea or clue about who we are are always better than yesterday. And that's absolutely cool with me. Please do help me expand those lives I can speak into so that we can send them out and make such a positive difference to the lives of those they come into contact with. I'm Ryan Hartley, your host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. Thank you for being here. Have a great rest of your day and we'll speak again soon. Always love.